Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman coming up on Fast Going for Gold. Hedge fund legend Mike Novogratz is with us while he says the bullion breakout is just getting started. He will tell us how he's playing it. Plus, trouble in the charts. One top technician says beware of this sector, why he thinks it could bring a quick halt to this market rally. And later, pack your bags. We are taking a road trip. We'll tell you what sent shares of Avis into overdrive today. But we start off with Twitter taking flight. The stock surging more than 7% today on a big rumor about the company's future plans. Let's get straight to Julia Borson. who has got the details. Julia. Melissa, those Twitter shares soaring on a rumor that the company is looking to build a subscription service. That rumor was sparked by a job listing that mentioned a subscription platform. Now, a source close to the situation tells me that a subscription service is one of many revenue-generating options that Twitter is considering, but that no announcement in that area is imminent. Now, CEO Jack Dorsey has said he's kicked around the idea of creating a subscription tier, and Twitter management has talked about building new revenue streams. The focus on new ways Twitter could make money comes as TikTok opens up a self-service ad platform so it can target small businesses without needing to build out a big ad sales team. Now, just today, Senator Tom Cotton warned Americans against using TikTok, saying it, quote, poses a threat to privacy and security of Americans. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said late Monday that the United States was looking at banning Chinese social media apps, including TikTok. Now, TikTok responded to Pompeo by pointing to the company's new American CEO, former Disney executive Kevin Mayer. The company is saying, quote, we have never provided user data to the Chinese government, nor would we do so if asked. Now, TikTok's ability to draw ad dollars onto that new ad platform will be impacted by its ability to reassure brands that it's not sharing data and can also control hate speech on the platform. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. I want to go to Dan Nathan first. Uh, as I recall, Dan, you had fast-pitched Twitter back in June, I believe. And here we are. Was this part yeah, of, about, a part of the possibility? About a week and a half ago. Yeah, no, I mean, not, not really. I mean, listen, I think the subscription idea has been in the background um, for a while. There's a number of ways that they could probably charge users. One of the points that I wanted to make last week when I pitched the stock was that their average revenue per user sorely lags that of Facebook. It's about $20 versus Facebook at about 30 And I think with an activist investor involved, um, you know, these guys are going to have to figure out how to get that ARPU higher, how to get better margins, how to better monetize the users that they have. So I think from a sentiment standpoint, this this is good news, even if it's just a rumor and it puts the company in a position where um, they might figure out some tricks. Listen, there's a whole host of things. There's buy buttons that they've had in the past. There's a lot of things um, that this company can do. Um, and just one one last point, you know, Senator Cotton, Mike Pompeo, they obviously don't have teenage daughters. The idea of banning uh, TikTok here in the U.S. Would, would just tear apart families right now. I'll just tell you that right now, because it's been a fantastic, fantastic app. Um, I know my girls are using it like crazy. In other words, to, to keep them occupied so you don't have to worry or deal with them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just want to get that straight. Guy Dami, in terms of Twitter, could this actually, mm. you know, help, help the site move away from advertising, which obviously is very cyclical, uh, and also monetize uh, their subscriber base and the content on the platform? No question. I also think people are coming to the realization that Twitter's a much more valuable property than the stock suggested over the last couple of months. And I remember in the middle of May, uh, when President Trump sort of went after Twitter and Google, I think Facebook as well, 
Twitter briefly traded, I think, below 29, and we talked about that's probably as good as an entry point as you're going to get. And that's come to fruition. Kudos to Dan. Without question, that power pitch he did was outstanding, one of his best. And I think he got thumbs up across the board. And I do think our smart audience voted for him as well. I do believe Twitter's going to the February high, $39, and we'll see what happens when it gets there. And Jack Dorsey has now inserted himself into the conversation for CEO of the year, given the move in Twitter and the obvious move in Square. It is remarkable that Jack Dorsey was under fire not that long ago for being CEO of two companies, and here we are with two companies who are just, that are just on fire, Karen. It's quite a turn. Yeah. I mean, it, it, is, it is quite remarkable. I think he was also sort of under fire for being CEO of two companies and then wanting to move to Africa for at least half the time. I think that was one of the things that Elliott Management thought, really, you know what, maybe that's stretching it a little bit too far. But kudos to him. And he's taken sort of a leadership role in what is, you know, what, what is the place for social media? What do they need to do? What is it their responsibility to do? And that's been important. And I think that um, I think all of these stocks in the last two, day, two, three days of social media stocks are getting a bit of a TikTok bump. I agree with Dan. I mean, it, it would really be a disaster for a lot of households if TikTok were gone. But um, I don't know. I've never, I never. I feel like Twitter has sort of played with this idea before a couple of times. I don't know if they w- will ever get around to it. I guess, you know, for my money, I still, I still prefer Alphabet and even Facebook. Yeah. But, I mean, Tim, do you think this could, I mean, if, if Twitter went down this road, are there other social media companies that could also go down the subscription road, which would sort of diversify themselves away from, from ad revenue. Yeah, but it, it's, it's not core to, to the, the, the daily actor user growth and the engagement trends. So, I, you know, I'm not sure. They would have done this a long time ago. This isn't, and we still don't really know what this subscription model will look like. Um, but for a, a company who's, I don't know, they're north of 75 percent in terms of ad revenue, um, that's really what it comes down to. And, and those trends have been pretty good. Uh, the monetization trends have been good. The advertising growth has been good. Um, it, it's been a massive underperformer relative to both social and, and even just uh, what's been going on in technology. So there, there have been some headwinds on DOJ. They are mentioned along every, with you know, Facebook every time these things come up. Um, but, but I do think that Twitter has, has been uh, looking for catalysts. And, and whether this is a legitimate catalyst or not, um, this stock uh, is, is attractive. And it, there is intrinsic value to this user base. And ad targeting and the ability to use analytics to, to drill down and get more value for what they provide and what their users actually contribute to that site, I think Twitter is, is undervalued. Snap and Pinterest were also up today perhaps on this notion that if TikTok were banned in the United States, that could help some of these other sites. Guy, Dami, do you see that? I mean, TikTok, as Dan mentioned, very crucial, particularly in this time of pandemic in terms of keeping peace in, in an average American household, but also 2 billion downloads, more than 2 billion downloads globally of this particular app. Yeah, and I'm one of the 2 billion, and I've become a huge TikToker, as some of the Fast Money fans out there know. It's like that synchronized dance you do with three other people. It's really a very outstanding application. I was so happy that the store was open the day I drove by to pick it up. With that said, you know, Snapchat, kudos to 386. That is Steve Grasso, who was talking about that stock many months ago. And we sort of piggybacked it and said, you know what, it's going to break out to the upside. And Facebook had the opportunity to squash them. And I think they took their eye off the ball. I also think on top of the TikTok news, what's going on at Facebook is a huge tailwind for Snap, and I think Snap continues to go higher from here. And you mentioned Pinterest, 
and I hope the crack staff in Englewood clips. By the way, some of the crew from Mad Money working with us this week, which is outstanding. I hope they're able to put up my Pinterest page for the folks at home because it is a thing of beauty, Mel. Guy Dami's House of Style and Classic Rock, as I recall, is what it's entitled. Yeah, excellent yeah. job by yeah. you. Yes, excellent, yep. You. Uh, let's bring in Gene Munster, founder of Loop Ventures, for more on all of this. Hey, Gene, great to see you again. Um, the pop that we saw on Twitter shares, if the subscription model came to fruition, is that pop justified? Unlikely, Melissa. And the reason is that it is, well, it's likely that Twitter will have some form of other subscription businesses. Recall that about 15% of their business today is selling data to organizations. That's a form of a subscription business. Uh, well, it is likely that they had other subscription businesses. These types that they will target are going to be niche-related. I suspect that this will also be kind of a consumer-facing data subscription service. Uh, what that means is maybe 10 million users at $600 a year. So that would add about 0.2% to Twitter's revenue. Sounds great. Uh, from the leaks, but the substance of this is this is unlikely to move the needle. Twitter fundamentally, their biggest value add is real-time news. And the ability to segment that from a freemium model today uh, to a paid model could create some massive disruptions. The freemium to paid model is a well-traveled road. Companies like Spotify have done a great job. They're a $50 billion market cap today going down that road. Twitter is a $25 billion market cap. So it's a great, very attractive road. But I suspect that uh, this is not going to drive valuation higher. What ultimately will drive valuation is focusing on what they have been focusing, which is engagement and increasing advertising revenue per user. So even if they said, hey, all you users out there, pay $5 a month or whatever it is, that would not move the needle in your view. That wouldn't change your thesis on Twitter. Uh, that would, but unfortunately, what if they just said you want uh, better access to news, for example, there's some provisioning around the type of, of uh, news and the speed that you get it. If they provision that, if they meter that and put a paywall around that, I think that that would cause anarchy with the Twitter base. Twitter would turn against itself effectively. And so I don't think that they can mess with that most critical lever. It, it reckons to an analogy that Google has been uh, uh, thinking about for a long time. is Should Google charge for uh, its services? I think a lot of people would say there's a ton of value in Google, and they'd be most willing to pay $5 a month for their search. But if Google did that, I suspect that other players would uh, that have never had any traction would get traction. In other words, is that to really build a, a powerful subscription service for Twitter or Google, you'd have to take out what its uh, most critical piece is. And I think people would not want that. Hey, Gene, it's Dan. You know, on the other uh, topic that we're talking about, the potential ban of TikTok here in the U.S., you know, how would the Chinese, in your opinion, retaliate when Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Snap are not in China, would it be Apple in their app store or the Android app store? Um, how, how do they retaliate, in your opinion? So they, what, the way China operates is they will likely just make it more difficult for some U.S. <laughs> companies to do business. I don't think Apple will be targeted. And part of the reason is that with this, uh, this, this chapter that we've had over the past year with Huawei being banned, uh, the Chinese government struck an, in, an incredibly supportive tone towards Apple during that period. So I think companies like Apple, it's the biggest U.S. Uh, company that has exposure to China, both on the manufacturing and the user base. But I don't think there'll be a direct retaliation. I think it would be more subtle. 
the risk and the truth lies several layers beneath the surface when it comes to TikTok. It seems that this is just a, a political spat uh, that is kind of rifting off what's going on with China and India in an election year. Uh, and it seems to have some merit to it because the, uh, China bans all social media, Facebook, uh, Google Maps, uh, uh, Spotify, or excuse me, uh, Pinterest, that's all banned in China. It makes sense for the U.S. to ban uh, uh, TikTok. And I want to mention one quick side point, too, is uh, TikTok, the data gets back to China. They, they may say uh, what they like, but it is highly probable that data does get back to China. So the, the truth, several layers, is this is the U.S. is the most profound company when it comes to global tech. And if the U.S. decides to ban TikTok, beyond what the rift would be in families with uh, many teenagers, beyond that, it does create a precedent of other countries starting to look towards the U.S., maybe uh, a country that wouldn't even be China. It could be uh, you pick the country that somehow takes issue with how Facebook was provisioning some news around it and bans Facebook or maybe does more subtle things, more regulation around Facebook or Google. Uh -huh. And that uh -huh. that is the truth below the surface, what needs to be factored in here. And that's the reason why I think TikTok will remain available in the U.S. Gene, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster. Um, you know, Dan, you raise an interesting point because it seems like TikTok and ByteDance, for that matter, are really trying to walk this very fine line. TikTok in recent days has also said that they're going to deny the Chinese government user data from Hong Kong, joining a lot of other American tech companies. Uh, and yet they're perceived as a Chinese company that's being potentially banned in the United States. I mean, it could be in a situation where it's not going to feel love in its theoretical home country of China or in the United States where it is a beloved app. app. You know, Mel, this kind of reminds me, though, do you remember there was a couple of years ago, I think there was some sort of bans on um, on jewels, on the um, inhaled um, tobacco products. And then I think the Trump administration realized that it doesn't poll certainly uh, particularly well with a subset of voters. And then, then they kind of kind of stepped away from it. This could be one of those things where it's just a little um, flailing um, in trying to kind of show their might a little bit or the potential to do something. And maybe it doesn't turn anything to like Jane says. Yeah, Tim. Well, censorship of, of U.S. Uh, social media and Internet companies is, is, right, is a big issue, for, you know. So, I mean, the U.S. has uh, plenty of sword rattling to do at a minimum. Um, I think the U.S. is in a pretty strong position. I, you know, I'm not so sure that they're going to care about uh, the, 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 call it the ramifications, the collateral damage of what it might mean for U.S. companies around the world. I think they're serious, um, and I, I think there may be a solution that, that we can have here. Um, companies... Typically, and we're seeing this in Hong Kong, U.S. companies are obviously pushing back and handling their own turf and not giving up this data. Um, let's see how this, this, this prevails, because uh, I, I don't think this administration is going to back down from this one. By the way, I've been getting a lot of Twitter messages about how to find Guy's uh, Pinterest page. So we're going to show you the Pinterest page, just so you know at home uh, what's on it. Oh, there's a picture of Karen and Pete. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of good content, let's say on that page. And, and it's and it's family and it's a family friendly page there's like nothing what? to be scared of there yeah i mean well, you the, should look tim you should you should i mean in the time of pandemic you, you know, know this could I, be a good pastime it's a pretty good looking yeah. page yeah. i think all right <laughs> i have i have a wonderful picture of audrey hepburn on that page uh wearing a hat <laughs> in case anybody's interested brilliant
I'm sure many are. Um, let's move on here. Another big move in the market today we found in gold. The precious metal soaring above $1,800 an ounce for the first time since 2011. The gold miners also seen some big gains. The GDX ETF miners jumping more than 3%. Um, Guy, you've been on this trade for a very long time. Yesterday night it was, PAAS. Sure. As there's, a, there's a saying, as heard on. So as heard on CNBC's Fast Money, and this dates back to the fall when, when you, we were doing this at the NASDAQ in New York City's Times Square. We were talking about the move in gold and silver and the reason you needed to be in these mining stocks. And here's Newmont Mining back above, I think, 61. Pan American Silver is absolutely broken out to the upside. A name that we mentioned last night, we said, although it has silver in its name, most of the revenues, I think 65% of the revenues are driven by their gold business. So, listen, I know everybody's talking about gold now, which would give people pause, but I do think gold is going to continue to move higher. And I don't think we're anywhere near to the end of this thing. I actually think we're closer to the beginning. So I've said this on the show a number of times. I'll say it again. You're going to walk in one day and gold's going to be up $200. Everyone's like, whoa, what's going on? And it's going to happen again the next day. And then gold's going to be on the front page of all the news stories. And the weaker dollar, which had been, you know, the, str the stronger dollar wasn't obviously a tailwind. Well, now this dollar weakening, which I think will continue, is absolutely going to be a tailwind for the precious metals. All right. Our next guest is gold headed to new highs. Let's bring in famed hedge fund manager Mike Novogratz. He is the founder and CEO of Galaxy Digital. He's clean shaven today, by the way, uh, for those of you listening on the radio. Mike, it's always great to see you. Great seeing you. Um, in terms of gold, what's your thesis here? New highs driven by what? Listen, just... The, the macro setup is so perfect for something like gold. The Fed Reserve and central banks around the world just keep printing money. More money, more money, more money. And so gold's going to take out the old highs, 1950 or something, and it's going to keep going. I think we're just starting this move. Is this any sort of a, a hedge or is this independent of your thesis on the markets? You know, it's... Listen, I think we're in the irrational exuberant zone on the markets, but it's hard to figure out where that stops. So you look at a stock like Tesla or or any of the story stocks, they're beyond what would normally be seen as a huge move. And you can't use a discounted cash flow model to come back to anything rational. That's because there's so much liquidity and, and their store of value is just like gold's store of values. And so you don't know where it ends. A good friend of mine said, hey, get on the airplane. Just make sure you're on the seat closest to the exit. Um, we're, we're, in a, we're in a bubble. Uh, I think you could see stocks and gold decouple at one point, right, where we've got an election coming up. I think Biden's going to get a win by a landslide, and I think he's going to jack up capital gains taxes to ordinary income. I think he's going to announce that this week, quite frankly. Uh, that will be good for the stock market. Uh, but they're going to continue to pump in liquidity. And so gold, I also love Bitcoin for the same reason, uh, core, core holdings of mine that I think are we're, we're early in this cycle. Mike, it's Karen. Thanks for being on the show. So you mentioned Bitcoin and gold. If you have, there's a lot of overlapping um, elements to the thesis, inflation, fiat currency kind of run amok. Which of the two do you think will do better if we start to see inflation really kind of kick into, it's not in high gear, in any gear. Listen, I, I, it's a little unfair to compare them because Bitcoin's a 50, 60 vol asset and gold's, you know, one fifth of that. 
and so I think Bitcoin will outperform gold because we're early in the adoption cycle, right? More Bitcoin's still hard to buy, right? If it was easy to buy, it would be a lot higher. And there's more and more people working on making it easier to buy. Uh, funds being set up, custody being done. At one point, we'll get an ETF. And so my, my sense is Bitcoin way outperforms it. But I would tell people to have a lot less Bitcoin than they do gold just because of the volatility. Hey, Mike, it's Tim. You've seen multiple commodity cycles, or at least you know, the last couple, which are probably now 10 to 20 years back. Um, you know, Gold-silver ratio looks interesting to buy silver, too. But other commodities here, some of the same you know, setup works for copper and possibly even for oil. Uh, what do you think? Listen, I, I think oil's its own story. I think there'll be supply constraints. You know, we took so much supply off that if the economy comes back, if COVID doesn't crush us, you could see oil spike back to the to the high 50s and maybe even $60. But it's a bit of a different thesis. Uh, and so I think simplest to play gold, silver, Bitcoin in this monetization thesis. Uh, copper is going to still be tied more to the real economy. And the real economy has got issues. You know, certainly in the U.S., we're stumbling through this COVID, uh, you know, you, you, I was in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and already the numbers are down from a few weeks ago because of the COVID resurgence. Uh, so we're having a hard time getting a lot of our economy restarted. Uh, you can't travel abroad if you're an American. I was going to go to Greece. They said, no, you can't come. Uh, and so I just don't see, you know, this is a we're in a we're in a fairy, uh, a Goldilocks or a fairy tale world because the Fed is just giving us so much money. You know, disposable income is up on the year, not down, which makes no sense intuitively. And so uh, it's hard to say where markets end, but you don't really want to bet on things that are geared to the real economy. Hence, right. bank stocks getting crushed. Right, right. Um, you're a realist, Mike. And in the past, you said you've traded, you trade the S&P 500 range. I'm wondering if that range has changed at all. And you also mentioned some of these momentum story stocks like Tesla. I mean, this is the market we have. Have you been in any of these trades recognizing that momentum is carrying these stocks beyond what their fundamental state might be you know a little bit i mean I, listen i i i didn't make nearly as much money as someone who would have got a got went all in and went bullish on the thesis i fought it for a while then quit fighting and listen i have a ton of bitcoin and bitcoin is part of that story though it hasn't done as well uh, and i have a bunch of gold stock wise i haven't done as well and in fact i you know courageously tried to short tesla you know yesterday and today and we'll see just it felt like 37 percent in three days was too much and so I'm still picking some spots to be short, very short term on that stuff. Uh, I haven't played the big momentum. And, and so my friends are getting richer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, there's still time. Let us know how you're doing. Thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate it. Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Digital. Guy Dami, you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he has 800 friends, maybe that's true because he's probably have only about 800 people on the planet that are richer than Novo, number one. And I know a lot of people don't know this. He was a badass wrestler in the day, Princeton University, which has some remarkable wrestlers, but I digress. And I agree with him 100%. I mean, this, I, I do think the precious metal story is just starting. I think he would obviously agree and that the stock market is completely decoupled from the real economy. And at a certain point, uh, that has to sort itself out. And I don't think it's going to sort itself out with the economy all of a sudden magically catching up to the stock market. But this is, I think, the debate that we've had every single day since the March bottom, <laughs> Tim. And that is, you know, you may intellectually believe 
that the economy is a certain yeah. way and the market should trade a certain way. But this is the market you have and you have to trade what you have, right? Yeah, well, it's funny because he, he used the metaphor of, you know, being on the airplane and sitting near the door. Uh, another great one is called dancing by the door. And, and I think you have to be dancing by the door uh, on a lot of these risk assets, especially the frothy ones. And you have to put some stops underneath you. So um, it is the market we have. And, and you can hold your nose uh, and you can still make money here. And, and I think the liquidity, I, I continue on. Um, uh, the Fed's clarity, the vice chair, uh, the things that came out uh, yesterday were were to me, shockingly dovish. So, I mean, I think considering where we are in the cycle, the Fed's showing no signs of, of laying back. Uh, gold, for sure, going higher, I believe. I think silver's a better trade if you look at that gold-silver ratio. And I think, I think the miners are better run. So uh, in this environment with a falling dollar, uh, guy talks about the GDX. I don't always love that trade. But right now, I, I think it's, you know, it, it pulled back. It's a good place to, to kind of get back involved. All right, coming up, buyer beware, our next guest sending a warning to Wall Street that this one sector will halt the market rally. He'll tell us what he is seeing in the charts. Plus, used car sales in overdrive as customers scramble for a set of wheels. We'll break down the big winners on the car lot. And later, you've got questions, we've got answers. Tweet us your burning stock questions at CNBC Fast Money. We'll hit them later in our special bonus hour. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Got a market flash on Bed Bath and Beyond. The stock is dropping after hours. Let's get to Kate Rogers. Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. The stock falling around 7% in the after-hour trade here after Bed Bath & Beyond said that its sales fell nearly 50% in Q1 due to the ongoing pandemic. Online sales, though, did surge about 100% in April and May. The company also says it plans to close roughly 200 of its stores over the next two years. That will begin in 2020 later on this year. Bed Bath & Beyond also owns and operates Bye Bye Baby, Christmas Tree Shops, and Harmon Face Values. The company says that by closing the these 200 locations over the next two years. This will save between 250 and 350 million dollars in annual cost savings moving forward. Melissa, back over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Um, so back to school is in doubt. Back to college is in doubt. Weddings may be on hold. Uh, Karen Feinerman, these are all reasons to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, I don't know. The only one I can think of maybe that's good is people are in their kitchens. Maybe they're buying a lot of kitchen devices. Um, I mean, those gross margins down 780 basis points, that's really bad. I mean, they're just, they're just structurally in a terrible place with these giant stores and then trying to take on Amazon in a COVID environment that's hurting everyone. But then you add on the back to school thing. And uh, sadly, I, I would stay away. Yeah. Guy Quick. As mentioned last night, once again on CNBC's Fast Money, if you remember, Mike Coco Beware said you had a 50% retracement in the name from 3 to 17 down to 10 and change. You had to sell it, and he was correct. Here we are. I think it goes lower from here, Melms. All right. Speaking of earnings, big banks gearing up to deliver their earnings reports next week. And with the XLF financial ETF down nearly 25% this year, are we expecting any good news from the banks to turn this all around? Uh, Tim Seymour, you're an investor in the banks. Will we actually get some guidance. Do they have visibility more than anybody else? Well, they, they certainly have some, but, but again, their visibility is, is that which uh, is, is going to be distorted by the liquidity that, that banks 
uh, first of all, are passing through some more than others, but that the consumer has certainly been given a buffer and a lot of the corporates have been given a buffer. So some of these loan loss provisions, would, which were seemingly conservative and high in Q1, uh, I think will probably be similar. Uh, it, there's very little for banks to chew on here. I, I do believe that we've priced in a lot of bad news and there's no question uh, that banks are you know, needing to show the, the real economy's recovery. And until we get uh, a vaccine, I think banks are going to underperform. The other problem is, of course, the yield curve. But um, I, I do think banks, uh, we've seen these moments of rotation and the relative value trade back into banks seems to me as if uh, this would be, at least for traders, a great place to be getting in. I'm not sure you have to do this before earnings, uh, but I do think banks look relatively interesting here. In terms of the visibility and the guidance that they could give, Karen, I mean, it seems like there'd be a lot of push and pulls in this quarter. We got reopenings. Uh, you have the consumer still being propped up by stimulus checks, um, that extra unemployment benefit, for instance. We don't really know where things are at right now. Right. We don't know where things are at. And they're going to have to make some guesses as well, right? The loan loss provisions, which were absolutely a shot in the dark for the March 30 quarter, because really this sort of shutdown was just starting. I think they're going to have more information here, but still not enough information to know for certain. So I think we're going to see very significant loan loss provisions. But that doesn't mean everything is bad. I mean, there are parts of the market, you know, housing and um, mortgages. And then for the big, the money center banks, the capital markets business that they have done since March 30 is astounding. So that's going to be an area, uh, one bright spot. And clearly, the market is very concerned about banks. And, you know, if you look at how it just the banks have not really responded to, I mean, this giant market run, they're kind of up a little, not a ton. I think, I think they're overdone to the downside. I think that even with giant provisions, which people should expect, that there's upside here. And I think that a year or two from now, they could be back to near what they were earning before. All right, let's see what this next guest says. He says there is something in the charts that could signal trouble ahead for this market rally. And the chart may be banks. Let's go off the charts with John Roque of Wolf Research. John, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, thanks for having me. Uh, we've done a lot of work on the banks, and the first chart we're going to show is a chart of the relative market cap weighting for the financials. Um, of course, the banks are the biggest component here. And the relative market cap weight for the financials has been down for 10 months in a row. This is the worst losing streak for this group since the global financial crisis when it went down for 11 of 12 months in 2007. We think the group's going to continue to work lower. And you could see the chart here. Uh, you haven't made any money in this sector as the sector for 20 years. Uh, and we're looking for it to continue to deteriorate. You don't need them is, uh, is the main takeaway here. And in terms of what this might say about the overall market, John? So we went back 30 years, Melissa, and we found that over these 30 years, the financials were down nine times. Coincidentally, the S&P was also down nine times, and there was an eight-year overlap where the financials were down and the S&P was down in the same year. It has said that with the financials being weak, it's likely a drag on the market. We're going to think that our history lessons should not be lost, um, but we think because uh, on the other side of it, tech continue, continues to gain the relative market cap strength at nearly 43% in the S&P 500. As long as tech stays strong, the financials will likely be a drag, but not a killer. And your outlook for tech? Listen, I think this is a market where you continue to buy the winners. Tech is strong. Miners are strong. Biotech is strong. Video gaming is strong. We have a, an index that we call the rich index. It's up almost 100% off the lows. 
Um, these are the winners. It's hard to, uh, to, to sell your winners. All right, John, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Melissa, thanks for having me today. Good to John, see you. John Roke of Wolf Research. Guy Dami, which chart jumped out at you? Banks, I mean, JR is spot on. Dan, and kudos to the earlier fast pitch of Twitter, Dan Nathan, who's been talking about this for a while. I do think, by the way, that when you have earnings next week, you're going to get a bounce in these names, specifically at J.P. Morgan, because it's come from 115 down to 92 or so in pretty, pretty remarkably fast fashion. And I think you're going to get a bounce. But I, I don't see the personally, I don't see these banks getting anywhere close to the levels we saw in January. So that's what really sticks out to me the most, Mel. Dan? Yeah, you know, Guy um, nailed the move in, in, let's say, J.P. Morgan. When it was back down here in the low 90s, he thought you would get a move back towards his 200-day moving average um, around 115. You got that. I think what's really interesting about the banks, and I agree with what Tim and Karen said before, the sentiment is really bad, especially for the money center banks. They are more tied to the real economy. And you look at the investment banks, you look at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, those charts act uh, look much better, and they, they act really well, and their businesses are really, really humming. So the ones that are tied to uh, more debt and more uh, defaults and loan loss provisions and potential bankruptcies, they act really bad. I'll just make one point about J.P. Morgan. You know, it's my J.P. Morgan indicator, I think. You know, this stock is down 33% in the year. It's up 20% from its March lows. It's down 20% from its uh, June highs, and it's trading where it was in mid-June. It just acts horribly. If it does break lower... It if it doesn't bounce or if the bounce is sold next week, then we're really uh, then banks are in for a lot of trouble. And I suspect they start to take the rest of the market with it because that's a better indicator for what's going on with the real economy rather than the liquidity induced economy that the investment banks are really enjoying right now. I, I actually sort of agree with the last thing that Dan said, which is that if the banks do go lower and they really have not bought, uh, bounced off the bottom very much, it's hard to see how the rest of the market can't go lower as well, given how integral they are to the entire economy. But I actually think they'll go higher. I'm long. Coming up, calling all car enthusiasts. We've got two red car, red hot car stories for you next. And the prices are just getting are just hitting the gas here. So park it. We'll have much more fast money right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Avis topping the tape today, rallying after Melvin Capital disclosed a nearly 6% stake in the car rental company. The stock up 25% in the past week, with Morgan Stanley also turning bullish on this name. So, do you hit your ride with Avis, Karen? Um, I did see the Melvin Capital. It's a 13G, so there's nothing. They're not looking to do anything aggressive or active, but still, that's a big stake. I think it's interesting that what was a huge headwind for Avis, which is their fleet of used cars, has actually now become a tailwind as we've seen used car prices just explode as people decide, you know, and I can't take public transit and I want to buy a car and some of the um, original equipment manufacturers haven't been able to get out as much inventory. So that's sort of been interesting to me. I think that I don't know actually what to make of the Hertz bankruptcy. I could see it as a positive or a negative, depending on if Hertz closes locations or now maybe they can you know, get rid of a bunch of debt and operate more leanly and be a, di- a more difficult competitor. It's had a big run, though, so I- I'm not chasing it here, but it is interesting. All right, let's stick with uh, autos and specifically used cars. There's been a red-hot rally happening on the used car lot. Let's get straight to Phil LeBeau, who's got some new numbers. Hey, Phil. 
Hey, Melissa, when you take a look at what's going on with the uh, auto dealers, essentially what you want to look at is not necessarily the new vehicle sales. We know what's going on there. They're restocking after everything being shut down back in March. Really want to focus on the used market because the used market has been red hot. And when you look at the used car sales or, or that, that market, look at Auto Nation, Group One Automotive, as well as Penske Automotive. Now, these guys are moving higher in part because used car sales have been improving, and it's the pricing that is where you're really noticing a difference here. The average wholesale price, $15,177. Last year, that was 6.7% lower, and you go back four years, it was 19% lower. So clearly, there is demand there, and when you go to the wholesale auctions, and they're all now done being done virtually, uh, those virtual auctions show that they're willing to pay up because... People are coming in and looking for those used vehicles. Sonic Automotive is a good example. Now, they've got a couple of ways they do this. They've got their franchise dealers, and they also have Echo Park, which is their own brand uh, for used vehicle sales. Both have been going very strong. What a run Sonic has had if you go back to April. And then finally, online is also doing well. Carvana. This is an example of why in this market people are saying this is the sweet spot. Carvana has used vehicles with strong pricing, and you also get the digital element with the deliveries going to the customer, and you don't really have the footprint to worry about in terms of whether or not something gets shut down in a particular region. Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Uh, we should note AutoNation, one of the top performers, racing 11% higher this week. Dan, what do you make of this space? Really interesting setup here. You know, obviously, all that uh, Phil and Karen just said about the used car market, AutoNation is really well positioned here. When you think about some of the cost savings that they're having, this is a low margin business in some of these um, used cars. And really, if you think about the model, um, it's really about service, right? So if we're seeing a secular shift, back towards car ownership after years of moving away, right, for a certain demographic to maybe um, public transportation or ride share, and now they're coming back. Well, if you sell a used car, even if it's at a low margin, your costs are lower too right now, um, you have them locked in on the service side. I think AutoNation's really well positioned for that. And if you look at it from a valuation standpoint, if you look at the earnings and sales hit expected for 2020, and you say to yourself, if these trends continue, this company back in 2021 could get Get back to peak earnings and sales, and right now it's trading about 20, or excuse me, 10 times next year's earnings. That's cheap. So this is one I think you want to keep an eye on here, because I think you could see this thing back in the mid to high 40s um, if things go reasonably well over the next few months. Guy? First of all, Roger Penske, a little known fact, huge fan of CNBC's Fast Money. I want to give a shout out to him, great American. I think he won like the Presidential Medal of Freedom or was awarded many years ago. Again, I digress. CarMax, Mel, and I know you have a just sharp as a tack in terms of your memory. So you may recall in mid-June, we said buyer beware in KMX as it was making a huge double top around $100. That proved to be correct. Here we are at $88. I think you take a shot at CarMax here. I think the sell-off is enough where it's worth taking a look at the long side. So KMX in my world. If you are investing in some of these used car plays, Tim, on this thesis that more people are buying cars, I mean, what, what happens post-pandemic? Do trends go back or do people actually hold on to these cars? Well, yeah, I mean, is the hedge to this the hedge to this trade is that you've got uh, trends for Uber and Lyft down 10 percent from where they were in April to May or May to June. So in other words, those trends are getting worse. 
Um, I, I, I think you know, at some point we go back to normalcy, but I think for, for, for a CarMax or the secondary cars and the service markets, um, I think these are real trends. And I think part of this is the exodus out of the city, uh, which is a trend that we continue to see as well. But none of this is good for Uber and Lyft, in my view. All right. Coming up, investors cashing out on Penn National Gaming this week. So is there more pain ahead for this stock? We'll break down that trade straight ahead. Plus, a prescription for profits. Traders seeing big gains in one healthcare stock heading into earnings. We'll dive into the options pits for the details. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Gaming, darling. Penn National has been hot this year. It's up more than 700 percent from the lows of the year to the recent highs. But that hot streak has gone cold. Penn is down 10 percent in the past week. Karen, do you like this name? I actually do kind of like this name. I like that it's down. It makes it it's a better entry point. And, you know, I think... The resurgence of the virus, I think, has hurt them and other gaming stocks. I think that some of the um, delay of, and smaller scale of professional sports, that's also not great. Maybe the day trading uh, fad, maybe that's peaked. And there's lots of debt. But I think the Barstool acquisition is great. They haven't been able to see the real benefit of that yet. They're going to have a sports, an online sports app soon, a betting app. And I actually, I think Dave Poitner is a marketing genius like no other. And so I think that it's actually attractive. Ultimately, casinos will reopen again and sports betting will come back once there are more games. I think it's going to be gigantic for them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Barstool's um, acquisition or the stake that they took, um, you know, is obviously really tied towards sports betting. When you look at what the, the price action in May, the company sold um, about $600 million for the stock in, in common and converts at about $18. They put, uh, when the underwriters did that deal um, back in mid-May, they put a 60-day uh, restriction on insider selling. Well, the stock's obviously a lot higher. It's near 29. Um, that 60-day comes due um, next week. Could you see insider Insiders take some profits? Uh, possibly, you know, and that might be one reason for the weakness this week. I'll just make one other point, though. This stock lost 90% of its value from its February highs to its uh, March lows. All of that debt, Karen, I mean, you know, nearly 12 billion or so, they just raised $600 million in cash. Um, you know, that's one where if the stock starts heading lower, I think investors start paying attention again. And let me just make one other point. It doesn't really appear that the M uh, NBA, the MLB, and some of these other pro sports, that the um, reopening or at least the start of their seasons or restart of their seasons is looking too great. If those things fail to launch, this stock's going lower. That's just a fact, right? So they only have about 41 gaming properties. And we just talked about earlier that the Vegas thing is not going particularly well, too. So this could be kind of a spotty summer for gaming uh, companies like this. All right. Coming up, options traders are betting on healthy gains in this stock. What is the name? Should you feel good about it, too? Find out next. And coming up at the top of the hour, we are taking your stock questions. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll hit them in our special bonus edition of the show. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We will learn a lot about the consumer and the state of health care tomorrow when Walgreens reports earnings before the bell. The stock has been crushed the first half of the year, but options traders are betting on a big move higher. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So Walgreens Boots Alliance saw more than four times the average daily options volume today. And as you pointed out, although the stock hasn't really performed all that well, we did see calls outpacing puts by about two to one. And right now the options market is implying a move 
of about 6% by the end of the week. That's in line with the 5.8% or so that the stock has averaged over the past eight quarters. And the most active of those call options was the weekly 45 strike calls. 3,000 of those traded for about 45 cents. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock will go above that $45 strike price by the end of the week. So obviously they're betting on good news out of earnings and perhaps making a contrarian bet on a stock that hasn't performed so well this year. All right. Uh, thanks to that, Mike. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we've got your final trades. Don't forget, bonus hour, Fast Money straight ahead, and we are taking your questions, so send them to us. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money, and we'll try and get them uh, in the next hour. All right, it is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say? That's going to be a great second hour, Mel. Can't wait. Uh, Ten cent streaming. TME is the ticker. Already 43 million subs. Trades cheaper than Spotify. Uh, and I think the trends are very much improving in terms of their subscription and their ARPU. I like this name as I like Chinese tech right now. Dan Nathan. Yeah, you know, Mel, I was not on CNBC's Fast Money last night, but I was watching the illustrious panel talk about the potential for Walmart Plus. I really like it. Um, I like the idea they can compete with Amazon. They don't have to win. They don't have to beat Amazon. But I think that, that they will get a better multiple. That's what uh, the guys were saying last night. So I agree with that. I'm a buyer of Walmart here. Karen Feinerman. Seriously? You're a buyer of Walmart? That's kind of amazing because I'm a buyer of Walmart, too. And that was my final trade as well. I was on the show, not watching it, but I was paying attention, kind of I was saying half of it. I, and actually, Terry Lundgren had a very good interview with Wilf and Sarah. So I like Walmart. Buying it. Karen, Karen and Dan agreeing on something. Mark the time. And mark the date. Time. I mean, geez. Guy, what do you say? You know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of time to think. And one of the thoughts I had during the show was that you renting a car. Is that even feasible? Would you rent a car? I have a so license. What type of vehicle would you rent? I have a license. I have a big one. <laughs> <laughs> a, large, big a large vehicle? car. Yeah. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. You want, obviously, safety as a factor. Just please alert our viewing audience when you'll be on the roads so they can... Uh, Choose wisely, if you know what I mean. I've never gotten it. That's so smart of you to say. Oh, jeez, guy. I mean, I'm just keeping it real, which is what we do. You're fine. What I'd also like to keep real is the electronic arts. It's in the game. EA. All right. Thanks, guys. Don't move. we got another hour, as I mentioned, of Fast Money coming your way. So stick around for that. Welcome to a bonus hour of Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Jim Cramer is off this week, but this next hour, it's all about you. We're tackling all your trading questions, drilling down on the hottest stocks you're buying and selling right now. So tweet us your question at CNBC Fast Money. With us tonight, you see them there, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, and Dan Nathan. Just ahead, revving back up, Nikola putting an end to a five-day tumble in a big way today. We will find out what is next with this red-hot name. But first, let's get a quick check on how we ended the day on Wall Street. Stocks getting back into rally mode with the Nasdaq posting another all-time high. It is now up 17% this year. The winners in the Nasdaq 100, JD.com, Biogen, DocuSign, and Splunk. We'll have more on today's big movers coming up. But first, got to dive into what you were buying and selling today. Let's get straight to Josh Lipton, who is tracking the trades. Josh. 
So, Melissa, a few stocks that retail buyers uh, were big on today. Let's run, run through them here. NEO, VBI Vaccines, Nikola, Alibaba, and Clean Energy Fuels. Let's dig into some of those. So, first, check out uh, VBI Vaccines. Ripped higher today. A small uh, biotech company. Worth mentioning, though, our own Jim Cramer talks about what he calls super uh, speculative names. Classic lotto stocks is how Jim puts it. And he does include this name in there. On the other hand, one that didn't fare as well in today's trade, Mogu, which describes itself as, a, as an online fashion destination in China. Two others that have been rising in popularity on Robinhood, that's according to Robin Track, would be Clean Energy Fuels and Wreckit Benkinser, the English company that includes brands like Lysol. Blue City made its public debut. The owner of what's described as China's biggest gay dating app, surging higher. You can look at that move. And finally, Nikola, a consistent member we know of the most uh, popular list, soaring today. That's as the team at JP Morgan did hike their rating on the electric vehicle company to overweight. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. And uh, let's start right there with Nikola, because that's where our first question uh, is from. It's uh, on Nikola. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Eric from Wisconsin, and my question is on Nikola. They have a very controversial valuation without any real financials to support them yet. Although they do have a very disruptive and innovative business model using hydrogen energy within logistics. Will Nikola be the next Tesla? And at its current levels, is it a buy? All right. Uh, Tim Seymour, what would you say? What? I mean, Eric sounded like the, the analyst covering that stock. That sounded great. So I think he hit on the issues that this is a, a concept stock still. The hydrogen fuel cell is, is an alternative uh, electric vehicle. But it's a case where um, we, we have had a lot of hype. Look, uh, what I find interesting about the story is that the, the infrastructure that they claim uh, – they can provide in this country, it now makes sense and what didn't make sense, but that they've outsourced uh, essentially the production uh, of the vehicle. We Look, we still want to see this pickup truck. Um, to me, there's been an enormous amount of interest in this entire space. And right now, this, this company is riding that wave. Um, I think it looks pricey and it's not something I'm chasing. But Eric, uh, you outlined the issues there. This is a company that's kind of a show me stock. Yeah, J.P. Morgan is interesting as part of this upgrade that they issued today. They said a near-term catalyst could be unveiling this OEM partner, the partner that will actually manufacture this yeah. pickup truck, the Badger that they have coming out, Guy. And, and you would think that versus Tesla, which took on the manufacturing risk itself in terms of the capital and just the risk of ex execution, this might be the smarter move. Without question. And kudos to J.P. Morgan. Their timing could not have been better because in terms of the stock, I mean, I think this was a $75 stock a few weeks ago. I think it closed at 40 yesterday. So the timing was spot on. And I don't know if it's going to be the next Tesla, but even if it's, you know, 120th of Tesla, that's a huge move to the upside in store. So, you know, I don't necessarily get the story. I mentioned that I was away that day in school that we did the periodic table. So I'm not all that familiar with the letter H, hydrogen. But what I will say is this. I think for the risk-reward you probably sets up pretty well given the move to the downside and given this subsequent upgrade. So uh, thanks for tweeting and calling in your question. I love this fast money Q&A thing. And thanks. And by the way, Mel, we have to say this. Thank you to the crack staff from Mad Money that have been working with us all week. I just want to throw that out they there. They are helping us make this all possible so we can talk to you at home out there. <laughs> Dan Nathan, what do you say about Nikola? 
You know, it's interesting. When you want to compare it to Tesla, I think it's really important to look back at Tesla and say this was not an easy stock until about maybe a year ago when it decided to go from 200 to, uh, where is it now, 1365 or so in what feels like a straight line. You know, 2014, 15, 16, the stock felt like it was flatlined around 200, 180. And 17, 18, 19, it was trading in a very volatile range between 200 and 400. And it was last summer that it felt like it was about to break the range lows. So, you know, I I feel like it's too easy that Nikola was like a single digit stock just a couple months ago. And now it's back at 55 that it's going to be doubling and doubling and doubling again. I know it's up 400 percent already, but I think that that what Tesla tells you at a certain point, they have to show you what they can do. Um, And Tesla has clearly done that. And they've made fools out of a lot of people. I want to make one point, though, in the last hour, Mel, we were talking about Tesla a little bit. And you said you asked the question about trading the market that we had the momentum in a name like this. Let me tell you something. We've never seen anything like this, okay? So whether it's a market you have, it doesn't really matter. If you've never seen it before, sometimes the smartest thing is just to kind of avoid it because I can't tell you that this is going to end particularly well. It's clearly a market mania um, right now, so you're crazy to kind of short it. But by the same token, I keep getting questions about when to buy it. And, you know, I just can't tell you what to do here. You know, we've been wrong on the story. I've been wrong on the story. Um, but things that you've never seen before, sometimes the best uh, bet when it comes to your money is probably avoid them. Well, I think that the thing that you can learn from Tesla in terms, yeah. of, in terms of that stock, it's not an easy thing to trade. Maybe some of the greatest profits can be made if you're able to trade that volatility in the stock. And the, the dispersion of the analysts is enormous. I mean, today we had J.P. Morgan upgrading the stock to an overweight. Yesterday we had RBC, Tim, initiating Nikola saying it looks more like right. a business plan than a business. I mean, <laughs> the verdict is, is really out. That's extraordinary. And, and, and again, it's a concept. And there are so many idea stocks. And we talked about that with Novo in, in, in the first uh, hour of this show. Um, I like what Dan's advising. Dan's saying, hey, hey, you know, folks, you don't have to jump into every story just because you see momentum behind it. Do fundamental work. Uh, have a horizon on your investments. And I, I think some of these names, uh, while you can be, as a, as, a, as a citizen walking the earth, love the concept of what's going on here, uh, and a very dynamic, charismatic CEO who tells the story very well, what is the story? What's really the story right now? Uh, and, and ultimately, there's still a lot to be proven here with a valuation that's gone parabolic. All right. Well, as we continue to track the increased activity of new traders out there, we've brought back Robin Track founder Casey Promozik to lay out some of the most interesting trends he has seen in the past few months. Casey, great to have you back with us. Um, and I know that you, you do interact with some of the users of the Robin Track data and you urge them to download the data, use the data, share it with you. What are you seeing? We're talking about these momentum stocks. They're very popular on, on Robin Hood in terms of trades. What have you noticed here? So I've noticed that there's often a couple different modes that retail investors will be in. So sometimes they'll be in the sort of mean reversion. Well, they'll buy, they'll buy the dip and they'll sell it and take profits as the price comes back up. And then other times when things really start to pick up steam, um, people sort of convert into a trend following phase where they'll pick whatever the, you know, the pack is doing and they'll jump on board even after it's you know, gone up 50, 100, 200 percent. So it kind of depends on the stock and the, uh, the attitude of the, the market as a whole. Let's take Tesla. I mean, <laughs> it seems like it has been until today on this unstoppable run. It may still be in that in that upward trajectory. What are you noticing? I mean, and, and how are you detecting this? Are you just seeing increased volume as the stock price continues to go higher when it comes to the activity in, on Robinhood? 
So yeah, RabbitTrack keeps track of the total number of users that hold any shares in their portfolio. So back in 2018, when I first started collecting data, uh, Tesla was one of the you know most mean reversion stocks out there. People would buy it when the price went down, and they'd sell it when it went up pretty pretty regularly. The, the lines are very much opposite. And then at some point in the past um, year or so, that behavior changed. People started chasing the price up. People started buying in after big price increases, sort of as a trigger to you know get in rather than get out. Um, it's possible that some people are still, you know, following the old strategy, um, but yeah, the, the trend is definitely going higher um, when the price goes up these days. Yeah, Guy, I'm curious when you hear Casey talk about these sorts of trends in Tesla specifically, uh, what mm-hmm. what do you think? Um, it's terrifying to me. Yet, you know, I don't want to. I, I, I want to be careful because people have done really well with that strategy. So, if people are making money, far be it for me to, to cast aspersions. But with that said. We've sort of, you know, Dan alluded to this earlier. We have never really seen it before, but we've seen versions of it without question, and it never ends particularly well. So I just hope the people that are at home watching and, and, you know, implementing these strategies understand this looks like a really easy game right now, but it gets very difficult very quickly, and I just hope people are prepared for that. Yeah. Um, Casey, the other trend that you're seeing on, on Robin Hood um, and that you're tracking in Robin Track is this rise of the use of fractional shares, which is a relatively new phenomenon. But what is that enabling uh, investors to buy at this point? Uh, so fractional shares are really appealing to a, like a lot of different investors who want to have a, a more balanced variety of portfolio while still having like a smaller account size. So it's been very popular. And one example of this is in Berkshire Hathaway Class A shares which are like over $300,000 currently, uh, you can see on the Robin Track data when they started rolling up the fractional shares because people started buying fractions of the, uh, you know, the Class A shares, which wouldn't, there was only two or three people maximum who would ever hold it at the same time before they had fractional shares available. Wow, and so now people are actually doing it. So that's interesting too because a lot of people think that the people who use Robinhood are ones that are in the Nikolas of the world, the plug powers, the workhorses, you know, the ones that top the leaderboard every day and they don't think about uh, retail traders buying fractional shares of Berkshire Hathaway, for instance. Yeah, for sure. So there's like there's definitely a different variety of Robinhood traders out there. Like there's a lot of people who will buy based off of like social trends. There's a lot of like you know Instagram accounts, TikTok accounts, Twitter accounts that people very regularly frequent to get sort of trading ideas and share ideas with their peers. And I think that's one of the biggest sources of people's um, buying and selling decisions, at least for the short term, rather right. than like long term investment. Casey, great to speak with you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, the founder of Robin Track, Dan Ethan. It's tough. Listen, you know, we've been doing this a long time. We catch a lot of heat mail. You know, we're not your stockbroker. We're not your analyst. We're not your hedge fund manager. We're just kind of trying to give you some insight of some of the things that we're seeing. We're going to get plenty of things wrong here. Um, but, you know, when I watch segments like that or listen to guests like that, it's telling you that there's a whole new group of people in the market. And that's not a bad thing. We're in the mad money um, hour here. I know Jim Cramer loves for new people to come into the market, and he does a great job teaching him. What we're trying to do is also kind of espouse a little bit of our multi-decade history. You know, history rhymes. It doesn't usually repeat, but the rhyming part is what we do pretty well 
here. And so the timing of all this stuff is really, really hard. And trust us, we do not want people to get hurt in manias. And there are manias going on right now. And people are having lots of different tools with lots of money, maybe that they didn't have maybe six months ago and lots of time on their hands. Um, and that doesn't always kind of factor into doing the right thing when it comes to investing. So all we can do is kind of point out some things that we think are a little ridiculous. I think this little mania right here is a bit ridiculous right here. All right, let's move on here. A household name is on the move in the after-hour session. Let's get to Kate Rogers, the details on Bed Bath & Beyond. Hey, Kate. Hi again, Melissa. Yes, we are keeping an eye on Bed Bath & Beyond. The stock continuing to fall on that Q1's earnings miss today. Sales declined as much as 50% in the quarter due to the pandemic. This even as online sales climbed by 100% in April and May with more shoppers staying home and buying via e-commerce. The company also says it plans to close roughly 200 of its stores in the next two years. That plan will kick in later in 2020. The company also owns uh, Bye Bye Baby, Christmas Tree Shops, and Harmon Face Valleys, but most of the stores that it will be closing are its flagship Bed Bath & Beyond locations. The company, like many others, declining to give any guidance for 2020 due to the ongoing pandemic. And clearly we're in that changing consumer environment and that is impacting retail businesses of all shapes and sizes. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you think of the stock? I, I think the stock had secular issues going into COVID-19. It's, it's great that they're online, they're, you know, that the e-commerce trends are, are what they are. But um, really, this is a story that's been crushed by, by what's going on with mall traffic, what's going on with, with uh, you know, your, your general uh, brick and mortar shoppers. And this is a case where uh, if, if we don't have some of these back to school trends, if we don't have some of the, uh, at least the, the you know, the cyclicality of their business that we've been counting on as we get into the holiday season. Um, this is not one. This is also one that had an enormous bounce off the bottom. Uh, this move, this update uh, is not a shock. Uh, and the stock that's languishing is one I think is going to continue to languish. All right. Coming up, we're taking more of your questions. All hour has a rally in Zoom zoomed by or should you still get in the stock? And we're bringing a little would you rather to total request fast money. We'll get some thoughts on two big names in the retail space. But first, take a look at the hottest stocks of the S&P 500 today. One of them might be on your list of favorite names, too. Back right after this. Welcome back to the special edition of Total Request Fast Money. We've got a trio of tech stock questions for you from Twitter to Zoom to Apple. So let's kick it off with a question on a hot work from home stock. Hello, CNBC. This is Pete in Florida calling and asking about Zoom video. Is it too late to get in on Zoom video? And if not, uh, what's a good entry point for Zoom video? Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Pete, for your question. Guy Dami, what'd you say about Zoom? Thanks, Pete, for tuning in. Uh, you know, listen, we were very bullish in Zoom for a very long time, and I thought after they reported, it got to be a month, month and a half ago, I thought there was a real good chance that people were going to sell off the earnings, and there's a trade back to 175. So although we were right into earnings, I've been dead wrong since. I think you're chasing now. I think now you just got to wait. Have you missed it? Yeah, probably missed the lion's share of the move, and I try to be patient here. How about Microsoft Teams? I mean, isn't that a huge challenger here to Zoom? I mean, they, they just rolled out this new feature, this uh, together mode that displays people in AI-generated settings like stadium style. So you can have a bunch of people looking like they're sitting in a stadium or a concert hall or something like that, Tim. 
look, there's no there's no way Microsoft is going to lose this market share. And the ability to have the, the full package of, of enterprise software uh, means that Microsoft can compete. And what they're going to charge people for, what they will not, uh, ultimately is where, again, I think they could really push Zoom around. So um, the competitive landscape, Facebook's got an offering. I mean, you know, every Google has an offering. This is a very crowded space. It will become more crowded. Good for Zoom for getting out there. They clearly changed the way America went through COVID-19 or has been. Uh, I guess it's still present tense. Um, it's very interesting. Those June 3rd numbers came out. The expectations were high and they, they really blew it out of the park. They were even better than expected. Not surprising, however, the stock pulled back. But uh, as the street was able to regroup, you saw upgrades from there. Uh, I'm with Guy on this one. I don't need to chase it, however, because I, I think the valuation is very difficult in this competitive landscape. Guy, you have been raising your hand patiently. Your question? Well, I used to go to school as well, and, and we were in class. We needed to raise our hands patiently <laughs> and to be called on. And I'm, I'm happy that you called on me. But what I was going to say was, and I'm really disappointed you didn't make mention of this during CNBC's Fast Money from 5 to 6, but there's a lovely candle over my left shoulder. I noticed it from the get-go. Uh, is it, is it perhaps you. a jasmine I, I guess, scent or something like that? Gardenia? Is it scented? You know, yeah, I, what, love what, the, what I love the jasmine. I love the lavender, but this is a Henry Bendel, no longer in business, unfortunately. Uh, gardenia. Whoa. I guess gardenia. How inside my are, am I in your head? I mean, that's insane. It, I Creepy. mean, it's insane. It's but insanity. back to anyway, Zoom. Sorry about that, folks. Back Why are we Zoom. talking about this? Guy digresses. Dan Nathan. I, a lot. All right. So um, I, I think uh, my esteemed panel has it correct here. I mean, the stock is up almost 100 percent from those June uh, numbers. The stock quickly sold off in May when they reported earnings. I and mean, the stock was already up um, over 100 percent from its recent lows. You know, it's trading at about 40 times this year's expected sales, 32 times um, next year. That Q1 earnings or sales that they reported was up 170 percent year over year. It was up about 75 percent sequentially from the Q4 and the guidance that they gave for the current quarter for revenues is up about 50% sequentially. That could prove probably conservative, especially if we have a lot of schools not going back in full force, if the openings are not working particularly well. But the question is, how much demand have they pulled forward mm. and how are they able to get a bunch of free users to pay on a monthly basis? And so I suspect at some point when you see some deceleration in the year over year numbers, you're going to have this stock come back a bit and you're going to have an opportunity to buy it. But, you know, these guys all made a great point. Everybody is competing with them. It's the Cisco. It's Microsoft. It's Google. It's Facebook. These are, um, you know, companies with huge, huge moats. But this first mover advantage, they have a better product. It's well run. This is a company that you want to own. I just can't justify it at this valuation. All right. We've got our next question here. It's on a big social stock. Hey there, Fast Money team. This is Taylor Kennedy, and I'm a 33-year-old investor from Jacksonville, Florida. Shout out Duval and also shout out Guy Adami for always keeping it real about his eating habits. I want to know how the team feels about Twitter going into this year's election cycle. Keeping it real, keeping it real about his eating habits. That's a nice way of putting eating it. Eating habits. That is a nice way of putting it. All right. Election, certainly a storyline for Twitter, but the stock is also moving today on rumors of a subscription platform. Guy, I'll go to you on this one since he's giving you kudos for being honest about your eating habits and all that. Honest to a fault. We mentioned, we mentioned my 23 McDonald's cheeseburgers. Uh, 
many years ago with my friend Tony Grasso as we walked up to the drive-in window in New York City, and then you corrected me, of course, which is your want to do. So I do keep it real, and I also mention the aftermath of that wasn't pleasant. I, I'm, again, honest to a fault, and I'll be honest about Twitter. Kudos to Dan Nathan of Risk Reversal, who power-pitched this stock a week and a half or so ago, and we've been bullish on this quite some time, so far so since uh, President Trump railed against them back in May. I think the stock is going to the February high, which was 39. And thanks for playing our home game, TK. Yeah, you know, that was a great move, um, you know, on not particularly solid information, which just tells you that the sentiment was very poor in the name. It's been a big laggard. I think there's only like seven analysts who rate the stock a buy. One of the reasons I pitched it uh, maybe a little more than a week ago on a relative valuation basis to Snapchat, it just looks cheap. And then you think of the scarcity of social properties that have the level of importance that Twitter has, and you say to yourself, it's just too cheap. So I'm in guy's camp here. I see a lot of catalysts, including the election. But also, if sports are able, to, if pro sports are able to come back in a meaningful way, that should be um, good for engagement. So to me, listen, if it gets back up towards the high 30s, 40 prior to earnings, you probably take profits here. Tim? Joker, joker, and a triple. I mean, I got to jump in here and, and, and stack the deck with these guys. I, I think what Twitter's been doing with their, their ARPU, again, average revenue per user, those trends are, are, are strong relative to where they're coming from. Their ad growth, very strong. The ability of ad targeting and, and some of the, uh, the, the complexity of, of that new science where they're actually going to be able to derive higher ad revenues. I, I think the story for Twitter is ahead of it. The intrinsic value in this platform, we, we, we all recognize. Uh, these guys are talking a little bit about some trading levels. I think that's fair. Uh, Twitter has given you multiple opportunities to trade that $38, $39 level, uh, and it's a stock that was overdone to the downside. Today's news uh, was not necessarily defined in terms of how this subscription service would work, uh, and therefore I think you have to be careful about chasing it. Guy's raising his hand again, and I feel like I just want to ignore him this time around. Yeah, teachers don't you. always call on everybody. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> that, ha that happens a lot to me. No, you know, Tim said Joker, Joker, and the triple. I just want to mention for our younger audience, the millennial group out there, that's a reference to the Joker's Wild uh, created by the great Jack Barry. Joker, Joker, and the triple. I encourage you to go to the Google machine for that. Thank you. Thank you. The more you know. Uh, speaking really of Twitter, let's take a tweet. Stock enthusiast writes, I think there's some considerable downside risk in Apple at these levels. Your thoughts. Uh, Tim, let's go to you on that. Boy, uh, you know, I've I've been neutral-ish on an Apple stock that I'm, I'm long but have taken some profits, if that all makes sense. I think Apple's valuation here, very challenging relative to Apple's valuation. Uh, 23, 24 times forward, uh, a lot of good news in 5G priced pulled forward. We don't really know what the refresh is, is ultimately going to do. We know the services business has been well bid. This has been a beneficiary of a huge liquidity burst. And, and I don't think the stock has to get away from you on the upside here. So uh, if you're not in the name, uh, I think you're going to get a better shot to get in. Yeah. Guy? So you know, I know that Jim usually occupies this time slot, has correctly said this is a stock you own, don't trade. But if you go back and look, Twice over the last two years, you've had monster moves to the downside, uh, 220, I think, to 140. And then recently, 
you had that move from an all-time high of 325 down to 240 or so, basically in a straight line. I've thought for a while now it's going back to 325. I think there's a very good chance it gets there. That was the previous all-time high. So I'm with your camp. I'm in your camp, stock enthusiast. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, a day like today when the market just turns and this thing just powers ahead up 2%, closing at an all-time high, it feels like there's just panic buying. You know, the same thing happened in Amazon. It's happening in Microsoft. Um, it just seems really odd to me, and I think it's kind of dangerous because, you know, these are not small companies. We're not talking about some $10 billion market cap with some new whiz-bang cool work-from-home app or, or some, you know, um, social app or something like that. This is a $1.6 trillion market cap company that has not materially grown the sales in units for like three years of their key products. And Tim mentioned, you know, services. Well, service is growing in the teens. Now, that's off a pretty good base here, so that's obviously decelerated. But, you know, again, I think they pulled in a lot of demand for what might be a 5G phone. I'm not sure it even comes in any meaningful numbers this year. Um, so that could just be the sentiment trade if that gets pushed out. But to Guy's point, 325 was the breakout level from the prior high. Um, you know, if you're dying to get back mm -hmm. in, I suspect you'll get a pullback sooner or later. All right, coming up, DraftKings having a strong start since going public. But is it time to double down or take money off the table? We'll get you the answers you are looking for. And keep your questions coming. We'll be answering them throughout this hour and for the rest of the week. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. Back in two. Welcome back to a special edition of Fast Money. We're taking some of your questions. Up next, a stock riding on a return to sports. Hey, Fast Money. This is Justin calling in. I'll be a junior at Tufts University this upcoming fall, and I want to start off by saying thank you guys for having me on today. I'm calling to see you guys' short-term and long-term outlooks on DraftKings and see what potential this company may have. In the short term, DraftKings saw an initial pop after the IPO offering, but now I've seen a 20 to 25% sell-off in the last few weeks. Now with sports trending up, but there's still being a level of uncertainty regarding the NFL and collegiate athletic seasons this upcoming fall, I'm curious where you guys think the share price of DraftKings will head, understanding that these were both projected to be large revenue streams. It's a very detailed question from a very smart young man at Tufts. I'm Tim Seymour. Uh, what's your quick take at yeah. this point on DraftKings? Well, I think there, there is a lot riding on the fall sports calendar, but that, that's not why you're buying this stock. You're, you're buying this stock because uh, the trend on, on gaming and, and interactive gaming and non-conventional uh, gambling is, is really what this is all about. This is just the beginning, and I think ultimately uh, at some point a DraftKings is also uh, the kind of a name that could be part of a bigger media story, but interactivity uh, with viewership. But, but right now, uh, a lot of the momentum here is the concept of sports coming back into play, and then a bunch of analysts that had to initiate really at, at the start of what has been a lot of momentum. Uh, not chasing it here, but like the trend and do think that DraftKings is one of only a handful of plays that give you exposure to a very exciting part of the online market. All right, let's dig deeper into DraftKings, Brian Canaccords, Michael Graham. Michael, great to have you with us. You cover this stock. So tell me, Michael, if I believe that uh, sports may not come back in the fall the way that we know sports, why should you be in DraftKings? You've got to buy in the stock. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's a great question. Um, you know, we, we like the stock because um, over the long term, we agree with some of the previous comments that you've got a, a market of um, 
of, of viewers of sports in the U.S. Uh, that also uh, like to bet on sports and they just haven't had uh, a legal and easy, convenient way to do so historically. Uh, that's changing in the country now with a wave of legalization efforts uh, across the U.S. There are nine states where you know mobile sports, online sports betting is, is completely legal and another nine or ten where um, it's you know really close to happening uh, in some way, shape or form. And we think that you know, in, in several years, you're going to have uh, two-thirds of the country living in states where uh, online sports betting is legalized. And, you know, as that happens, we think there's going to be a lot of engagement, a lot of usage. Americans love to watch sports and they love to bet on sports. So that's really the, the sort of underpinning of our, of our positive stance on the stock. Uh, when, you, when you dial that back to the short term, you definitely have some sentiment uh, riding on, you know, if and how the sports calendar comes back. Um, Obviously, the most important one here is the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, DraftKings and the markets that it's fueling can survive really well with no spectators, right? So if these sports come back uh, without spectators, that's just fine. Um, the NFL is the biggest, you know, sport uh, in, you know, betting. And um, it's going to be very important as we get into Q4 and a little bit of that into Q1 with the Super Bowl. Right. So now we've got in this interim period, you've got baseball and basketball um, you've got a lot of golf events coming back. So, um, you know, there definitely is some sentiment riding on these sports returning. And um, it's certainly not not a certain thing, but it's looking you know, fairly positive now. If, if the NFL doesn't come back, uh, does that change your, your buy rating on this stock? And I'm wondering because, you know, we see a lot of these college teams try uh, to go and engage in these voluntary workouts. You know, the players get back to campus. They all have COVID tests. They all test negative, And then... T- 14 days later, the voluntary workouts are halted because so many teammates have caught COVID by being back on campus. Yeah. Um, To answer your question directly, no, it wouldn't change our our buy rating because we take a a one-year view. And um, we do think, you know, in general that uh, there, there are certainly serious headwinds and some challenges to getting these sports competitions underway. Um, A year from now, uh, it's very likely to not be, um, you know, as bad as it is now. So we definitely think that um, we will get through this and, and that DraftKings business will, will get through this. Um, if we do get, you know, something dramatic like the NFL season getting canceled or postponed or curtailed, uh, I think that, you know, you would, you would likely get a better entry point into the stock at that point because there is going to be some sentiment riding on it. Um, But one of the comments earlier I think is important to keep in mind, uh, if you want to invest in this in this theme, you don't really have that many options. Um, Some of the other options are are tied up in larger companies with different businesses that maybe aren't as as fast growing. And um, we like, you know, DraftKings uh, strategy. The fact that um, we think the company is in a good position to be a digital disruptor, to, to, to build you know, products quickly and iterate on them. And importantly, with a good understanding of how to market and get new customers in the door you know, once we're there. So I do, we do see a lot of investors interested in the space and in the stock. I think if, the, if there was some weakness on the sports calendar, I, I think it would probably be short-lived. That's a great rundown of what's going on in DraftKings. My question is, are there natural suitors out there for DraftKings, be it the casinos, a Disney, uh, a, you know, any number of the social media companies? Is that for me, does that come into thinking in terms of your valuation for the stock? 
Well, um, I do think there is plenty of potential for um, DraftKings to be a target for, for, some, for some bigger companies. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, when, you, when you look at what happened on Twitter um, when they had the NFL for a little while and you saw engagement um, just going you know, through the roof there, um, the, the, the younger generations uh, like to watch sports, but they like to watch them uh, with a mobile device in their hands and, and, um, and you know, engaging with the content, which can include betting on, that, on, that, on, the, on the competition. So um, there are really good tie-ins here for big media companies that are looking to increase engagement with viewers or gain new viewers or new constituents. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, I think over time, you know, DraftKings could be a, a takeout target. I, I do think, um, you know, the company probably can execute pretty well independently here for a little while. And I think it almost needs to be independent because, you know, this is going to be one of those areas where, uh, to to win, uh, it's going to require uh, some big investments, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, uh, DraftKings has sort of the, the the permission from its investor base right now to make those investments, and so I think being independent will help the company, uh, you know, do that. Michael, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Graham of Canaccord. Uh, Dan, you know, this this feeds right into your thesis on Twitter in terms of engagement. Yeah, I, I think he made a great point about that second screen. I think that um, back in the day when those Thursday night games were on Twitter, people didn't know what to do when they were watching the game on Twitter um, and, and using that second screen to do other things. So, um, you know, that, that's a great point. Listen, I think, you know, this, this story is obviously not too different than what we were talking about in the last hour with Penn. What Penn did was really interesting, that stake that they took in bar stools. Well, they got content. They have a very engaged user base, right? And you put that together and you're building something bigger and ultimately there will be an acquirer for that combination of content generation and obviously the ability to kind of bet on these games. I'll just make one last point about DraftKings. This is a very well-run um, company, and you know they see the addressable market in the tens of billions of dollars. And when you think of the budget shortfalls that a lot of states are going to have when we come out of this pandemic, um, there's going to be legalized be- uh, uh, sports betting all over the place. So to me, um, if there were a pause in the NBA or the MLB or the NFL, and I suspect that there will, um, and this stock gets hit somewhere in the 20s or so, I expect it to be bought up. The same thing for Penn if it gets hit pretty hard um, in the coming weeks or months as we get some stop downs in some of the pro sports. But, but the legalized gambling thing, I mean, we heard this before. Guy, you have to tell Vincent Flip to... Right? That's, that's your dog? <laughs> flip. Yeah, that's flip. flip. That's what no, I thought. I thought it was Flip. Uh, no, um, yeah, it's Flip. Flip, um, come on, man. Tim, Sorry. we heard these arguments when it <laughs> yes. came to pot. And there's a certain amount of the market that may never go the legalized route because they've got their own ways of placing bets. Yeah, look, I, I think we're going to have legalized gambling uh, on a, you know, across the country. I think we're going to have legalized cannabis across the country. I think there's no stopping it. I think public perception uh, and trends are, are telling you that the public wants it. Um, DraftKings has, has built a brand. Like, they, they've been out there for years telling you what they do. And, and I think you know, if someone wants to bet on sports uh, and they haven't done this before, they're going to DraftKings. It's just a question of what you want to pay for them. But uh, this is a very big space. Uh, they do have competition. There are folks that will uh, encroach upon them. But they're out front, and, and they've built a brand, and, and, and I think that's important. Um, this, this is 
not about this fall. This is about the next five to ten years. All right, coming up, you've got more questions. We've got more answers. Up next, we are counting down to Disney World's big day. How do you trade the stock ahead of that grand reopening? We're back in two. Welcome back to the special Fast Money. We were taking your questions. Next up, a question on retail. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for having me on Fast Money. My name is Steve from Maryland. My question is, which company is better to invest in for the long term, Walmart or Target? Walmart just came out with their Walmart Plus yesterday, and Target stayed around the same price point for a week or so. So which company do you guys suggest I invest in? Steve from Maryland, self-would-you-rathering in his video question to us. Nice going, Steve from Maryland. Guy Dami, what do you tell him? Don't you love that? Don't you love the viewers playing along at home? It's fantastic. A self would you rather. It's, it's wonderful. I think the long-term Walmarts you play without question. You know, not that I'm a huge fan of Walmart Plus or what's going on, but I think that's probably a game changer. I think Dan and Tin would agree. I think on valuation, though, I think Target is still in the more compelling story. So if you're talking about five to ten years, I think Walmart. If you're thinking over the next five to ten weeks, I think Target. Dan. Yeah, I don't think you have to do would you rather here. I think what happened over the last few months with the pandemic and the lockdown just showed you how essential these two companies are. And they're very different companies, but I really do like the um, Walmart Plus. When you think about it, if the whole goal is to do same-day delivery for groceries and they do a ton of grocery business and the idea is to get other things ex-grocery in your cart, I suspect from what we know about Amazon Prime that Walmart will be successful. You think about Walmart has $550 billion in annual sales, 30% e-commerce. Um, you know, this is only going to get bigger. I see this as a tremendous opportunity for multiple expansion for Walmart over the next few years. So you like both. Tim, would you rather? Are you going to answer that question? Well, or are you going to create your own question and answer it yourself? I, I, you know what? I follow the rules. So I did this yesterday. And in fact, Walmart was my final trade last night before everyone jumped on the bandwagon today. So I like the story. And I think you have to have a would you rather because you have a case where I think Walmart can beat up Target uh, and Costco and, and, and Kroger on, on price. This is what they've always done. So to me, I, I think this is a, a very important moment for Walmart, who had already made a, a pretty strong move into e-commerce. And, and it's, it's interesting because when they started out with Flipkart and, you know, that kind of a move, I thought that and Jet, like those those didn't seem like that they were doing anything. Uh, but ultimately, they've got their mojo here. And, and I think this is a very important story. I, I think the, the multiple you can put on on Walmart as some type of an e-commerce play, whatever you want to do, whatever blended multiple you want, it, it should be higher than 24 times. And, and I think that's, that's really the story here. I've not been full-scale bullish on Walmart. In fact, I probably said six weeks ago, they pulled forward a lot of sales. Uh, they're the biggest retailer in the world. So if the consumer is going to be in trouble, why chase them? But relative to their peers, I want to own Walmart. They're going to continue to take market share. And this was an important day. Coming up, retail investors have been hot on the pot stocks as of late, but is the action in the space just smoke and mirrors, or has the flame been rekindled? We're breaking that trade down, and later we're answering more questions, including on a stock that could add a little magic back into your portfolio. We are back right after this. Welcome back to the special bonus hour of Fast Money. It may come as no surprise that past stocks have sparked a lot of interest from day traders. In fact, Aurora Cannabis is the 10th most widely held stock on Robinhood, according to Robin Track. So 
Tim, what's your take on the stock? Well, it, it, Aurora is probably the the least of the four big LPs in Canada, frankly, in terms of their balance sheet, in terms of uh, the, the profitability. That They came out of the gates early. Part of the reason uh, the big Canadian companies were ahead of the U.S. companies is because they could be traded here. Um, uh, Aurora, ticker ACB, is, is one that people love to trade over here, um, and it's really been a, a terrible stock to own. Um, so, you know, when I, when I think about owning cannabis right now, uh, first of all, the U.S. market is a very exciting place to play, and companies like GTI and Cresco Labs and TrueLeave and, and Terrasen, these are companies that are actually doing a lot in their markets now. They're profitable now. So, uh, you know, I think the Canadian opportunity is still very much there. I think Canopy Growth has, has turned that story around. But um, the exciting thing is going to be when cannabis companies have 2Q numbers that start to come out in August, and they're showing serious growth. I'm not just talking about relative to the times and this and that. Relative to every other sector, this is actually working. So you don't need federal to really happen. We know that cannabis was deemed essential. We know the consumption trends are up. Um, Aurora is a, uh, a company that's been in transition. I think they've done a great job of starting to reel in the balance sheet. Um, but I think there are still some issues on impairment charges and a limit to what they can do. When that Relieva deal was announced a few weeks ago on the show in the after hours, I said, I I'm not that impressed. That's not a game changer because I don't think the CBD business in the U.S. is a game changer. And the stock's down 20 percent since then. So it's not about an I told you so. It's about I, I think look for the companies with the big addressable market and those that are executing now. All right. Coming up, it is a whole new world for one of the biggest entertainment companies. More of your questions just ahead. And as we head to break, take a look at some of the Nasdaq 100 stocks that buck the trend as the Nasdaq climbed to new highs. This special edition of Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. As many states pause reopening efforts, one major player sticking to its plans. Here's the next question. Hey guys, Andrew Perez here from Florida. Quick question on Disney. With the theme parks reopening and sports coming back, is it going to be a good time to buy for a second half play or should I hold off and see how this reopening goes? Look forward to you guys' opinion on the matter and I appreciate your time. All right, Disney. Guy, what do you say? Oh, and today, Guy, was a very important day for you because you found out that one of your favorite rides is no longer in existence. What do you, what, what do you mean by that? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride? Oh no! That's you know I I think I don't believe that's true. I, I I that's my favorite ride. My second favorite ride, as you know, is the Hall, Hall of Presidents. Presidents, and then that treehouse thing, which I really enjoy. So good. To answer the question, <laughs> Disney is not cheap here. I mean, Disney's probably trading north of thirty-five times next year's numbers, and you can say it doesn't matter in this environment. And you're probably right. Guggenheim, who has a great uh, call on this name, just initiated or reiterated a neutral rating, $123 price target. Its stock has come off a bit. I think if you're looking to get in here, you buy a third of your position, wait for earnings, and see what happens. I don't see any reason to plow in now, given the environment we're in ahead of this earnings season. Tim, what do you say? I, yeah, I, I'm not owning Disney. Uh, let's get back to the trader versus investor. I'm an investor in Disney. I'm an investor in four different business units. I'm an investor in the, in the Disney flywheel that is the studio, that is the parks, the consumer experiences, the CPG, uh, and the, cons you know, the, the, the consumer products. So I, 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 we all recognize I don't think the opening is going to be uh, something that's going to be a straight line. In fact, I think it could be very painful. 
Um, but ultimately, the valuation here is is at a place where I can own Disney for uh, uh, a couple of years. What's what's probably the biggest issue for Disney investors right now is that if you think about that last round of earnings, uh, they actually looked at the balance sheet. Um, they cut the dividend. I mean, this is this is stuff that um, you didn't think you'd ever see with a company like this. And I think they've been very prudent. So uh, I'm an investor in Disney. I stay the course and I, I would own it here. You know, Tim makes a really good point about the balance sheet. You know, they spent 2019 transforming this company. They bought those Fox assets. They were building up Disney Plus. Obviously, investors rewarded them, but all of a sudden now they have this massive debt load, right? And they've had this black swan event. And I agree with him. I think the reopening the parks definitely here in the U.S. is going to be spotty. And the question is, how much, how long can they operate at not 100% capacity? Because they're not going to be there for years. But I, I agree. Like, I like the story. I think if you're a long-term investor, this stock spent five years between 120 and 90 to the downside. It broke out in 2019 when they launched the Disney Plus, or at least they rolled it out. Um, you're going to get a chance probably to buy it a little better on some bad news over the course of the summer. But this is obviously a great company, a great premium product. It will trade at a premium valuation. But the guy's point right here, that valuation is a bit hefty. You have to take a long-term view right here. We're going to take one last question from Twitter. Uh, our viewer, Courtney, is a big fan. Thank you, she says, and asks, what do you think of Tencent and Alibaba? And that is right up Tim Seymour's alley. Tim. You know, I, I'm long those stocks. I've been long them for, for many years. And, and I think the breakout in, in both of them this year, Tencent broke out earlier in the year uh, and Baba has broken out in the last uh, two months. And, and so all time highs, the five year chart looks fantastic. But enough about the charts. I mean, you know, you've, you've had a dynamic with local liquidity. Also, the dual listing for Alibaba means enormous liquidity now back at home. That has been a driver here. But the valuation uh, is very attractive relative, again, to mega cap tech and where you can have market dominance on e-commerce and cloud. Some of the same dynamics you're investing on uh, in Amazon. So uh, not too late to get into both of those plays. Uh, Alibaba is the better valuation. Thanks, guys. And thanks, Flip, for parking, being part of the show. Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, our thanks, Fast Mel. Money Traders. Continue to send these questions because we are back here in the same slot tomorrow. Yep, another supersized show. Don't go anywhere, by the way. Stay tuned because Shark Tank is up next.